hosting, myself Tim, and you've got Lachlan. Hey. And Ruben. G'day. Well, we're back to uh, online rather than face-to-face. It was really good to see you guys last week. And uh, I've got my mug that my mum made us all. Um, <laughs> I've got it too. Lachlan's got his. It's not a coincidence. <laughs> as well. So the beverage inside my mug. Actually, let's all hold it up and smile so my mum gets a photo. <laughs> all right, all right, there we go. Cheers. <laughs> nice. There we go. So um, I've got uh, this new pure blonde ultra low carb lager, um, which it's not water. It's actually <laughs> beer, but uh, it's got less than a hundred calories of beer. And it tastes all right. Mm, I'll reserve judgment on that one. <laughs> I've certainly had worse beers. It's still better than 4X, VB, uh, any light beer I've had. It's and not selling for me so far. Probably. Oh, look, it's... <laughs> it's a low bar. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It'll do. It's adequate. That will be... That's, there's the word. Adequate. It is adequate. I actually, I actually <laughs> don't hate... I don't hate VB. It's just, I like VB it's on about, tap. It's about context, you know. It's the right time, mm. right place, you know. So if you're sitting on a beer crate with a wife basher on <laughs> in the Druitt, then it's the right place to drink that beer. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> for someone elsewhere in the world. Oh, yeah. Wife basher is a blue singlet. <laughs> yeah, we should probably point that out. That's yeah, made terrible. out of cotton. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's some Australian slang for you. Anyway, um, speaking of clothing, what have you got on there, Lachlan? Oh, I've got my uh, hipster Socrates uh, t-shirt on. <laughs> Here we go. So, I'll describe this for our listeners. It's it's a picture of Socrates with turtle shell hipster glasses on and a bright pink beard. You know, if he were in the modern age, that's what he'd look like for sure. It's, it's just like Bill and Ted just transported him in and t- into today's time and that's what he'd wind up looking like. Sure. <laughs> I think you're correct. Yeah. How about, how about you reckon he'd wear even... Crocs? He'd wear Crocs, oh, wouldn't he? A, a, oh, for sure he'd wear Crocs. And a man bun. And <laughs> <laughs> a man bun. Yes. <laughs> and what, what's in uh, your cup of choice tonight, Lachlan? I mean, I'm uh, actually sampling your... Uh, fine gin that you'd uh, gifted to us in the last episode oh. it's uh it is delicious it's it's good it's a very very nice gin i like the uh the mix of botanicals it's rather tasty very good i'm happy i'm not a gin connoisseur i uh i was told by others who were there who do like gin that it was exceptionally good so i was like okay yeah it's it, um, got a, a similar kind of profile to another one that i like uh called uh, the botanist Mm. which is a kind of it's a, a pretty fancy gin so it's got you know markings of a good one there i like it very good mm. and uh how about you Ruben? What what is in your cup yeah i'm drinking i'm drinking the same and it's good mm. definitely good and the price was right <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad you approve too funny oh that's brilliant Okay, well, uh, let's get into it tonight. We hopefully will conclude chapter nine, which means one to go. So uh, almost there, stay on target. So 
uh, let's begin with a summary of the tyrant. Who wants to take us through that? Um, I think you had two passages to read, Lachlan. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Well, so like we, we pretty much covered off the tyrant in a lot of detail last week. Um, there was a, a smidge more um, that we could have talked about in this episode, but really it's kind of rehashing a lot of similar stuff. So there's just a, a quick uh, paragraph that kind of rolls it all together. So I'll go with that. Uh, he who is the real tyrant, whatever men may think, is the real slave and is obliged to practice the greatest adulation and civility and to be the flatterer of the vilest of mankind. He has desires which he is utterly unable to satisfy and has more wants than anyone and is truly poor if you know how to inspect the whole soul of him. All his life long he is beset with fear and full of convulsions and distractions, even as the state which he resembles <clears throat> and surely the resemblance holds. Very true, he said. Moreover, as we were saying before, he grows worse from having power. He becomes and is of necessity more jealous, more faithless, more unjust, more friendless, more impious than he was at first. He is the purveyor and cherisher of every sort of vice, and the consequence is that he is supremely miserable and that he makes everybody else as miserable as himself. No man of any sense will dispute your words. So that just kind of uh, wraps up with a neat little bow. So uh, the longer he goes on, the more miserable he gets. He's going to make everyone else miserable. He's unjust, horrible, and a. I suppose the key takeaway there is that he's a slave to it. Um, so you can note that one for, you know, that that's that's really the key to to what they're talking about here. Is that you know where's where's his freedom so if you compare this model to uh aristocracy which is i think what tim sort of finished with at the end of last episode um we're talking about the level of happiness and uh aristocracy was sort of held up as the happiest and tyranny as the the most unhappiest and so this is just kind of this is why so you know essentially even if you're the the leader of the you know you are the tyrannical leader you're a slave to it as well yeah, I I think that like a simple way to put it that I boiled it down to is basically that the, in the state the tyrant becomes a slave to the people around him because he has to rely on them to maintain power, and then the type of people that he ends up surrounding himself are worse and worse. So it kind of compounds the problem, and he becomes more and more a slave to the the people around him and having to do things to control people and to control others. Um, but then what that represents in the individual is uh, like their desires. So that the tyrant is is a slave to the, the their, their desires hmm. um, in the individual, like they are a slave to the people around them in the state. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's a great description. And it's it, it absolutely reeks of truth, particularly when you read that part around that they just get worse you know more jealous more faithless more unjust <clears throat> yeah just it's a death cycle loop spinning out of control mm. Mm. he is under the mad tyranny of his own desires and passions mm. that's yeah. awesome <laughs> so fun from that uh basically we get a bit of a fist pump from uh socrates because uh <laughs> he's sort of uh feels like this has kind of put the, the nail in the coffin and we can we can seal the deal on this one. So uh, I'll, I'll read these, these very quick little 
passage here because uh, it's just for a bit of fun. Uh, need we hire a herald or shall I announce that the son of Arison has decided that the best, the justice is also the happiest and that this is he who is the most royal man and king over himself and that the worst and most unjust man is also the most miserable and that this is he who being the greatest tyrant of himself is also the greatest tyrant of his state. Make the proclamation yourself, he said. <laughs> Thanks, Glaucon. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit dramatic. <laughs> um, I'm giving Prog, um, Socrates a, a dry read from Glaucon. I mean, it may have been a little bit more full of praise, but uh, I just read that and I had to, I had to chuckle. <laughs> well, I do like that he throws in that judgment remains true whether their true character are known to men and gods or not. You may. So he's basically saying it doesn't really matter if you don't get it. Like yeah. it's true whether you, it's true whether you agree or not. Like, yeah. Yeah. So but that's so that, uh, what they basically term the first proof, isn't it, Rubes? That's right. He's basically saying that's my that's my first proof, and he's got two more to his own to his credit. Um, there's a lot of numbers in this chapter, so there's there's lots of threes, and later on there's uh you know seven hundreds and somethings. Yeah, but anyway, me of that meme. You know that meme where like. It has the calculations going on, but the person looks really confused. Yeah. I think Glaucon yeah. was the OG. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you're right, yeah. So this is their first their first proof is basically saying the tyrant is not free. Um and the Aristotle, the king in the era, the, the king in Socrates' state is free. Um and in the same sense that the people that live in that state are free, whereas the people that live in a tyrant state is free. So basically, if you're not free, you can't be happy is kind of the implication there, I think. Well, it's, yeah, uh, but within boundaries, obviously, because the aristocracy has quite a lot of boundaries. And when you go to democracy, there's ultimate freedom, but not ultimate happiness. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, freedom within limits, I think, is is. Uh, well, yeah, I th and I, I also think that his yeah his his idea of freedom is the freedom to do what is best, like what you're designed to do, kind of thing. Sort of like you know that whole uh, going way back to the start, where he's like, oh, you know, you do one thing and you do it well, and and that's the best yeah. thing you can do. It's the freedom to do that, not the freedom to do yeah, whatever yeah. you want. Which is kind of yeah. probably when you say freedom to people these days, it's probably the way they think of it, isn't it? Hmm. Well, yeah, uh -huh. I was thinking about that just then. Like the, um, there's a lot of talk on the interwebs about how Australia's sort of lost its freedom because of all the lockdowns and everything we're having. And um, I'm not showing that, saying that I know the answers to this, but it's it's interesting that you see like the commentary from America is very much so they're taking taking away all their freedoms. Um, whereas when you see the commentary from England, they don't say freedoms, they just say it's removing some civil liberties. Like the flavour of the description of what's happening here changes depending on which country is commentating on it. Oh, right. America is much more <clears throat> like bigger on just if, if any rules are a problem, any government is a problem, it should be small government, they shouldn't impose on you in any way. Whereas the English commentary seems to be more around that it's okay for the government to impose on you, but what, what Australia is surrendering is some of those civil liberties, like the freedom of movement and, and that sort of stuff. So they just describe it differently. Mm. So that makes me think about that a bit, because I think the Americans, you could say, is more fitting that 
democratic description of absolute freedom and being able sure. to do whatever the hell they want. Like if I want to own, you know, like Tiger King, if I want to own a tiger, um, then I should be able to own a tiger. You know, <laughs> but the UK, they don't think that. There's not people over there buying tigers. Um, yeah. <clears throat> you know, does do you get what I'm alluding to? Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, like that sort of different categorization of freedom. Yeah. And, I, and I guess like the, the thing with the US too is, it, you know, it is the land of the free. And so that's like a, a, a cornerstone of, of their, uh, their, their culture. And it's not a cornerstone of the British culture. So that's probably why it's just got a different lens on it. Well, we're um, also well, the land of the convicts. And, <laughs> and the reason that this place got settled in the first place was because the English knew there would be no resistance. So it's like the laziest people came and settled here and then they threw all the criminals here. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's certainly not born out of a desire for freedom. <laughs> well, it, it, it's also probably too because the, the Britain was a, a, under a, an aristocratic rule for a, a long time and so that's a different um, sort of power structure to what the, the US or Australia has sort of had really. Um, I think I think there's also implicit in it like a, a very fundamental different fundamentally different approach to what freedom is. Like I, I think I would say the Americans seem to see freedom as an ideal almost more in the platonic sense in that it's something that is good in itself, something that's above um, government, whereas I, I, I kind of feel like in Australia and the UK, freedom is more a function of the government. So the government um, is what sets the boundaries and, and, and allows this and allows that. Whereas I think in America, they, they would say, no, 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 we're, we appeal to something above and beyond government. Whereas I almost think implicitly these days, people think in places like Australia or Britain, um, they, they kind of think, well, what is the highest power? And they sort of just go, oh, yeah, the government's the highest power. Whereas I think mm. in the US, it's a bit different. It's like, well, what's the, what's the highest power? Like, oh, it's not the government's not the highest power. It's that principle, that principle of, of freedom. Yeah. Yeah, then, then there's that sort of whole piece about, you know, like we the people. And I think I think the US sort of talks a lot around, you know, the the people of that country being that country, if you know what I mean. Um, I'm not sure if it executes on that on that sort of wavelength, but I think that's what that sort of essence of freedom though is as well, because it's personal freedom as well as freedom of that country. And um, yeah, hmm. yeah, interesting stuff. Very. So, uh, should we look at the uh, the second set of proof that uh, Socrates is sort of offering on the plate for us here? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, all right, so I'll in read that little introduction bit. It says, uh, The second proof is derived from the nature of the soul, seeing that the individual soul, like the state, has been divided by us into three principles. The division may, I think, furnish a new demonstration. Of what nature? It seems to me that these three principles, three pleasures correspond, and also three desires and governing powers. If I keep reading, I'll be reading for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Basically, he goes back to his discussion on um, the way that the human soul is broken up. And he says you've got sort of basically three parts to the human mind. You've got um, uh, 
uh, let me, let me read it. I made notes because I knew I wouldn't remember. I've got um, a handy few Oh, so you've got your mind, the mind which seeks knowledge and wisdom, and you've got spirit which seeks honor, and you've got the body which seeks uh, gain and profit. Um, so, I mean, that, that, those, are, those are my words. Um, so I apologize for any equivocation that might be occurring, but um, <laughs> the idea is being um, the mind is satisfied by knowledge and wisdom. And then the spirit um, is satisfied by honor and success. Um, and then the body is satisfied by, um, you know, food, drink, sex, that sort of stuff. That's it. Um, yeah, okay. And it kind of, it sort of, in a way, fits in with his categorization of different levels of knowledge as well. Um, if you think back to the cave, um, he's talking about um, the different levels of knowledge. And then the highest level is that, you know, that, that what's outside the cave and, you know, the ultimate essence of things. And then, you know, down from that, you've got, um, and then at the very bottom, you've got the people that are just looking at shadows on the walls. Um, and they're, they're more interested in particulars or, you know, material things. Yeah. And, and I think like the thing he's getting on to now is like what, um, you know, when you're looking at the soul that you may have one of those attributes that's going to sort of rule over the others or prevail um, and that the principle will be different for, um, for different men. So obviously you've got some people who are going to be more focused on the gain, others who are focused on the honor and others who are going to be focused on the, uh, on the wisdom. Um, yeah, that's right. And he asked the question, well, how are you going to know, how are you going to know which one's the best? Because hmm. each individual who's ruled by that particular part of his nature is going to tell you that they get the most happiness out of that thing. Yep. So how do you know which one is, um, how do you know which one is, is going to give the greatest level of happiness, which is ultimately what he's trying to decide. Um, so he's got some interesting little arguments as to why it has to be um, knowledge and truth. That's yeah, right. Drum roll, drum roll. <laughs> so, headline, newsflash, like... philosopher says <laughs> philosophy is best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. Um, but I think they're, they're quite elegant little arguments. I, I, I'm a bit of a fan. I thought they were pretty good. Yeah, they weren't too bad, actually, I have to say. Um, you know, I, I so think he, he, thought, he thought them out well. <laughs> yeah. So he starts out by saying, well, what is, you know, what, what, he starts sort of talking about bodily pleasure. Um, I hope I'm not shooting too far ahead. Let me know. Um, and he's like, well, he talks about pleasure and pain. And he says that um, you can sort of only relate um, pleasure to pain sort of thing. Like a lot of people just compare the one to the other so kind of the idea that pleasure is just the absence of pain so if you're really sick um then you get pleasure out of feeling healthy um or you mm. know or if you're hungry you get pleasure out of eating um so he's kind of pointing to like these different levels of pleasure i think as as he's sort of jumping onto the third the third challenge i have gone too far ahead yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. i'll wind yeah. it back yeah, that's cool. I think um, where he's talking about the, um, uh, I suppose, like the philosopher uh, essentially coming up on top, I think what he was trying to say is that more or less like the person who uh, who seeks honour as, as their principal sort of argument, um, 
hasn't sort of attained the higher thinking to be able to recognize that they would be missing something um, from putting uh, honor above knowledge because they've never attained, attained true knowledge. So that how could they possibly know what they're missing out on, basically? That's right. Whereas the person, the philosopher who loves knowledge is necessarily going to have enjoyed gain, like physical yep. gain. Like they're going to know what it's yep. like to eat. They're going to know what it's like to earn money, um, yep. to attain things. But then on top of that, they're also going to know uh, those, you know, those greater pleasures of wisdom and that. Yeah, it's basically saying, I guess, that they're the most well-rounded because they've experienced the whole spectrum there and then realized for themselves that knowledge can only be the greatest one. And so that's what enables them to do it. Whereas the other, the other two can't have had that same experience where they've experienced all of them. So whether it was gain, whether it was um, honor, um, they haven't had the full spectrum. So only, only the lovers of knowledge can, can have that have that full spectrum yeah he kind of he kind of hints that there's like a tiny little exception that if you're seeking honor through the honor of knowledge you could kind of get there but then he points out that but i think you already mentioned it the only way that you can get the most out of gain or the most out of honor is using the tools of 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 wisdom of uh, tools of reason so even even at that point knowledge and 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 wisdom and reason have to be at the top of the hierarchy yeah, I, look, I think uh, Socrates is being like a little bit uh, naive or hopeful here as well, because he's kind of glossing over some of the discussion I had earlier about the fact that there's philosophers who have gotten like hooked into gain and basically have ended up being like sort of sycophants, like cheering for money and all sophists. That sort of thing. He's talking about the sophists and all that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, but maybe he's saying that they, they've never attained true, true uh, knowledge, so he doesn't consider them to be a true philosopher, right? So maybe, well, isn't, maybe that, that's isn't that the ones he refers to in that cave analogy that have been outside and they've sort of looked out into the sun and they've kind of squinted, but they haven't yeah. really stayed out there long enough and they've gone back in and just used what they knew to manipulate the people inside the cave, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. So it's kind of like they're there, but they're not quite there. I think, yeah. yeah, you're right. I think that would probably be how he responded to that criticism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically, at, at, following that argument, they, they all sort of naturally agree that the lovers of wisdom um, should have the pleasantest of lives, uh, followed by the man of honor with the, uh, the, the man of uh, lover of gain being last of all. So uh, the, yeah. the just man triumphs over the, over the unjust one more time. And uh, this, this, this is now as they sort of step into that third challenge, which, uh, which Rubes had started sort of jumping in on there. Um, so, uh, right. Yeah, that's, that's right. I, yeah. I summarized the third, the third proof basically as he basically goes on to say that, uh, the philosopher's pleasures are the most real pleasures. Um, and they're the most real pleasure because they're eternal and unchanging. Whereas all the other pleasures are fleeting um, so like physical pleasures, like the gain, earning money, eating food, whatever that that's ultimately, they're all, they're, they're not going to be unchanging and even honor fades after time. Whereas I think his, his idea is that, uh, knowledge and truth are eternal and unchanging. So they're a higher level, more real thing than the others. That's hmm. the way I summarized it anyway. Let me read the introduction that he gives there and then 
We can continue. So he goes twice in succession then, has the just man overthrown the unjust in this conflict. And now comes the third trial, which is dedicated to Olympian Zeus the Saviour. A sage whispers in my ear that no pleasure except that of the wise is quite true and pure. All others are a shadow only, and surely this will prove the greatest and most decisive of falls. Yes, the greatest, but will you explain yourself? I will work out the subject, and you shall answer my questions. Proceed. <laughs> so again, Socrates is going to ask some questions. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Although I'm finding more and more at this point in the book, he's just answering his own questions. The others are just on for a, along for a ride at this point. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Look, I, I thought the comparisons and stuff um, that he pulled out were interesting. Um, the, the other sort of little chestnut, I, I guess, he sort of lays out in this one too, is just that um, that leveling system that he sort of rolls out about upper, middle, and lower. Um, yeah, yeah, I liked that, but mm-hmm. I, at first I thought he was saying the place to be is in the middle, and then he kind of yeah. says no because when he talks about the pain thing, yeah, pain and pleasure, and then. You know, I I was like, oh, so the good spot to be is like feeling minimal. Yep. You know, neutral uh, is the way they put it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you think about that from a straight away, like my mind went to like mental health, right? So if you like, if the black dog is strong and you're really low, that's crap. But if the pendulum swings too far the other way and you become manic that's crap too <laughs> where you want to yeah. be is like yeah. a sweet spot of just calm you're talking about bi- you're talking about bipolar disorder a little bit but that's what I like original, that's what I went to when I was thinking this through at first I was like oh the sweet spot's in the middle but then he's like no that's mm-hmm. not the sweet spot's in the top one I was like oh okay yeah the way I understood this bit is basically saying if your concept of pleasure is is in reference to your concept of pain, then that's always going to be changing. Like you're never really going to find, you're never really going to hit the, uh, you're never really going to understand what pleasure actually is because you constantly talk, you, you're constantly understanding it in relation to something else that's also changing. Yeah, I, I guess I looked at it, the scale maybe a little differently and it just kind of depended on which direction you were coming from. Yep. as to how you perceive that sort of midpoint. Because if you're like feeling on, on I don't know, uh, well, that's that's example, right? That you, you, you're feeling pain, you're feeling sick or whatever it is, and you have that absence of sickness or pain and you go, oh, you know, I'm feeling pleasure from that, right? But they're saying that's the midpoint, right? Because it's just absence of pain. It's not actual true pleasure. And so if you've not experienced actual true pleasure, how would you know that there's more that there's something better than just the absence of pain if you know what i mean yeah, and so yeah. That, that's what they're sort of using with this example and I, I think they're trying to wind it back to more knowledge and it might be sort of really reflecting the cave sort of stuff again which is you know if you've if you've started at that low level and you've made your way up to the the mid level but you've never seen that there's a top level you might assume that the mid level is actually the top yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think when you attain that knowledge and the, can see the truth, then you're aware that there's that extra layer 
up on top. But up until that point, you had no idea and you thought you were already at the top. You were just on that that, that sort of middle yeah. uh, layer there. So he's just... I got to the no, same think... conclusion by the end of the chapter. Yeah, I think so. But just my initial read, when I first started reading this, I was like, oh, he's making the argument for... Um, the middle like a, ground. A balance. Like a... Not, a, not either extreme, but then it occurred to me as I kept reading, I was like, I oh, know he's not. He's actually saying what you're saying, Lachlan, which is the, the absence of bad isn't the same as the best, or it's not the same as good. Yeah, yeah that's right. And one of his, his little proofs, one of his little proofs is, well, there are pleasures that don't involve the absence of mm. something, like a pleasant smell. Yeah. That just exists as a pleasure in itself, but it doesn't exist. Mm in relation to the absence of that, of something. It's, well, yeah. it's not um, the absence. The pleasant smell is not the absence of a bad smell. It's something yes. that smells good. Yeah. In itself, yeah. 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 My, um, my little takeaway from this, and I'm probably taking it too far as I usually do, is, um, so, like, block and smiling. Later on in, um, <laughs> later on in history, um, you get things like humanism and pragmatism and progressivism and utilitarianism and they sort of talk about um, what makes something right is is what produces the most well-being, right? Or the most pleasure or the most happiness. Um, but that is a, like, that's a really difficult proposition if you can't define what pleasure or happiness is. And what I see here that Plato is doing is he's basically saying that um, it can't just be the absence of pain or, you know, or, or the uh, accumulation of pleasure because that won't get you to that top level because in his mind, the top, top level is, is you know, knowledge and, and, and the enjoyment of that, 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 that higher tier reason. Um, and I'm, I don't know whether he's right, but if he is right, that basically smashes a really large section of modern thought. Materialism and uh, yeah, like whole, materialism, whole humanism, structure. progressive. Yeah, like it just it, it basically smash it essentially smashes those things. I'm probably way out of my depth here, and there's probably a million things I'm getting wrong there. But that's what I found fascinating because to me, I'm like he's right here. He's kind of discussing something that becomes a debate again, <clears> like you know, hundreds of years later. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it's certainly what he's saying anyway. I mean, because he starts talking about this being like, um, what is the essence of it? Because he's trying to get that finer detail of these desires and um, talking about what has the, the, the greater essence. Is it that of something physical? Um, it's a desire and gives you a satisfaction, such as like hunger being satisfied by food. Um, or is there something that it's what the soul desires, which is um, truth and the invariable and or the immortal? Um, and, you know, that basically he's sort of saying, you know, again, using that sort of cave thing is that surely if you're going to satisfy the soul, that's at a, a higher level above eating an apple because you're hungry. And when you yeah. say it like that, you know, of course it is, you know. Um, that's actually a really good, simple way to put it. I, I like that. That's exactly right. I think that's exactly where he's headed. Yeah. I, you know, it might be a bit harder when you're sort of talking about stuff that's a bit more esoteric than 
eating an apple, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, would, would you, uh, should you shun the, the physical realm and be uh, just using your inner eye to, to, to seek the truth of the universe, you know, like, you know what some people do later on. They do. That's exactly what some people do. Yeah. Sorry, Tim, you, you were saying something. I was going to say, or, or is it um, just simply saying that in order to get the most out of all these things, you have to be a philosopher. <laughs> like would a philosopher enjoy think, this beer more than a non-philosopher? I think that's kind of in some to some extent what he's saying yeah mm, and yeah. um i'll fast for, i've got some notes later on i'll fast forward to it because it actually kind of points it leads right into one of my thoughts from earlier on um but that is essentially what he's saying is that the highest form of pleasure comes from these uh these realm of forms you know these, these highest unchanging truths so basically he's saying if you want to get the most out of life you've got to approach these but the way that he's described back in the cave the way to these truths is very esoteric you know what i mean like he's talking about you know having to live to your life to your 40 and then training for five years or whatever the numbers were and 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 then and only then you know the the, the best of the best are going to reach these truths and so in his system only those that small number are really going to uh reach that 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 true sort of happiness um so that really is esotericism and my thought what what i thought about with that is um if you fast forward to christianity is it perhaps the case that christianity takes some of those ideas those pure ideas and spreads it to the layman without all of that baggage um you know like in in, in the sense that you, christianity doesn't expect you to go down this path of knowledge and, and, and exit the cave. It just says, it just has, it basically just says, you know, here, here are the answers. These are the things that you need to focus on. Yeah, it's almost like a that. cheat or a sh- it's kind of like a cheat or a shortcut. Um, I mean, I don't, mm. that, I mean, that's dependent on someone actually agreeing with what Christianity says, but if Christianity were true, is it kind of a way of basically circumventing that whole platonic system and saying, no, 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 he, here are, the things that are good within itself and and, you're, and, and and we are giving you those things and you don't need to go through this process i i don't know about that i you know it's only that i think uh, look it m- might well be i might agree with you that it's perhaps a cheat sheet and it's going to point you in the right direction but i think it's still incumbent upon you sort of having a journey to get some realization of it um and that it's, you know, just having the answers doesn't make it true for you. And I think you have to have. You still got to go through that journey. Yeah. To, to, so. Yeah. To gain that understanding. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that someone, someone should listen to any system of thought and just accept it wholesale and just mm-hmm. say, yeah, that is the mm-hmm. truth. Um, I just mean, I just, I, I look at pl- the pl- uh, like Plato and Socrates' system and I'm just like, it, it doesn't sit well with me. And this is not an argument from reason. This is an argument from emotion, but it doesn't, the idea that it doesn't sit well with me, this idea that the only people that are really going to get that highest level of happiness are the ones that in his, in his mind, you know, sit there and contemplate 
this realm of forms, you know, this higher level of existence and, and, and they're the only ones that are really going to get it. Everyone else is just, you know, living this sub, this, this subs, like lower level of existence. But, um, can I, yeah, I think I get what you're saying. So, um, it's a, it's a issue about accessibility. So Christianity's argument is that the gospel is for everybody and that essentially God sends the Holy gift. Spirit to do that work for you, whereas the philosopher route is you have to do the work and you have to get there through your own intellect. Is that is that the distinction that you're trying to draw? Um, in a very simple, yeah, in a very simple sort of sense, because I mean, Christianity is described as a gift, grace. You know, it's, mm. just, it's described as a gift rather than something that you, depending, you know rather than something that you earn through, you know, years of, uh, you know, deprivation and study. But I mean, having said that, I'm not suggesting that if you're going to be a Christian, it doesn't mean you can't, you, you don't work at it. Um, I just mean in contrast to kind of what Plato's describing. But would there be, um, how can I say this without being too offensive? Is there like an IQ barrier <laughs> for the philosophy path compared to the path of the Christian? Is that what you're getting well, at as well? I, I, I didn't think of that, but yeah, that's pretty much kind of what Plato's saying, isn't it? Particularly when you go mm. what rewind when he's talking about the gold and the silver and the bronze, and he's like, the bronze are just the tradies, and the gold are the <laughs> yeah. uh, you know the best of the best, the guardians that uh, show promise, kind of thing. Yeah, it's the fish um... that Socrates rejects are what makes Socrates' philosophies the best. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> 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 There's nice. your episode title. Oh, yeah. Philosophy is tuna. <laughs> tuna to your ears. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, anyway, so I, I know I tend to derail things and, and make things a little bit extra. No, I think that, that was my point. No, no, no. I think you make no, a valid no. point. And, yeah. But I think there's a third thing too, which is... Um, maybe not third but the the accessibility I'm not super smart and I'm reading philosophy um, but I don't think I'd ever get to the level that Socrates is like you've made it you know but uh, <laughs> I still have a crack and um, I don't know how you feel about that I think I think the amount of things I double in I think he'd tell me to just pick something and stick with it rather than playing with 5,000 things like I do. You're the democratic man, though. Yeah, I'm the democratic man. You're the democratic man. No, but I I think the thing is, though, you know, and in this conversation um, that, you know, Socrates is having with all these guys, I don't think anyone else in the room he considers to be at that level either. So I don't don't think... Yeah, um, I think, like, maybe what Rubes is sort of saying is is true, that it, it, it is a bit elitist. I don't think it's necessarily endeavoring to be but i think he's just saying it takes hard graft to sort of get there and unless you're willing to sacrifice the first 35 years of your life um <laughs> you know you're like, out yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of it to be but, fair uh, though that's true of like martial arts it's true of different sports to be a master of something many, yeah, yeah correct yeah, yeah Thanks, that's Tom. true i i think in our age of like in a democratic nation and in our age of technical advancement, I think being a jack of all trades 
is actually what's in demand these days as opposed to the specialist hmm. that's my opinion hmm, interesting um there's a somewhat of a, a long <laughs> passage at the end of that section but it does yeah. kind of wrap things up kind of neatly if you want me to have a crack at it i'm happy to i'll, I'll flick it over to zooming just on your head for a minute <laughs> sure go um, um oh, you're sorry, what, sorry. I, I was just i was just gonna pop away for a second while you do that not that i don't <laughs> respect you i just those then who know not wisdom and virtue and are always busy with gluttony and sensuality go down and up again as far as the mean and in this region they move at random throughout life but they never pass into the true upper world thither they neither look nor do they ever find their way neither are they truly filled with true being nor do they taste of pure and abiding pleasure like cattle with their eyes uh, with their eyes always looking down and their heads stooping to the earth that is to the dining table they fatten and feed and breed and in their excessive love of these delights they kick and butt at one another with horns and hooves which are made of iron and they kill one another uh, by reason of their insatiable lust for they fill themselves with that which is not substantial and a part of themselves which they feel is also unsubstantial and incontent so uh, basically what they're sort of saying i think is like the the further removed you are from um you know knowledge and truth um the more elusive the pleasure will be and the greatest distance you'll be from law and order um because yeah. they're just sort of saying that you know you you can only recognize physical pleasures um so you're not going to know what like wisdom and truth can bring you because you haven't sort of hit that higher level um and i think what they're trying to do is to tie that back to the tyrannical because the uh, the tyrannical just aren't aware of um like this they don't have that sort of truth and knowledge of the tyrannical and so all they have are those physical pleasures and that's why it's always insatiable because their soul is yearning for something more but all they can grasp on is all these cheap thrills that are never going to satisfy their soul yeah um, can you read no that part about the table again i think that's hilarious um yeah uh, like cattle with their eyes always looking down and their heads stooping to the earth that is to the dining table they fatten and feed and breed and in their excessive love of these delights they kick and butt each other with horns and hooves <laughs> yeah i had that bit highlighted too it's good eh? yeah <laughs> all right yeah, um... so i think that was the, the, the final nail in the coffin for the the the, the tyrannical and uh well, it's sort of setting the scene for aiming higher. <laughs> Fatten, feed, and breed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a t-shirt. So um, who's with me on getting a little bit uh, weird with uh, maths with Socrates? You get well, yeah, on? I'm, I'm definitely... This number, as I was reading this, kind of just appeared out of nowhere. I didn't follow. I'll read this passage just for those listening. Uh, oh, are you going to read the number bit? 
I, I did sit read the number bit and I'm like, nah, I'm out. I skipped forward. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> well, I'll just read from here and you can sit. No, I'm kidding, man. Go for it. Yeah, no, yeah. Right, here we go. So, and if you raise the power and make the plane a solid, there is no difficulty in seeing how vast is the interval by which the tyrant is parted from the king. Yes, the arithmetician will easily do the sum. Or if some person begins at the other end and measures by uh, measures the interval by which the king is parted from the tyrant in truth of pleasure, he will find him when the multiplication is complete, living 720 time, 29 times more pleasantly and the tyrant more painfully by the same interval so, I love it so hang on it. So, he basically goes like how much how much happier is the king than the tyrant and he's like uh, I'll tell you I'll tell you exactly how much he's happier I'll put I've a number done the on math. it but the, I, I've got a number yeah. so, so here you go so the oligarch is third from the royal plus the tyrant yep. is removed from true pleasure plus the shadow of the tyrannical pleasure determined equals 729 <laughs> there's some Socratic well, math for you <laughs> yeah, so you looked, up this, you looked this up a bit didn't you Lachlan yeah. uh, so enlightenment enlightenment idiots because well, I, I read these words and get 727 I don't right, know here's my, here's my notes right? I don't know whether I can get it on the camera I wrote yeah. skip this bit yeah. <laughs> I just had on mine it says question mark. <laughs> so so look, on, the, enlightenment. The, the maths itself um, doesn't seem to make a, a heap of sense to me anyway. But yeah, look, <laughs> he, he, he starts trying to sort of pull those numbers together, right? And he, it's it's a convenient thing, right? That he's got this this thing because initially he's talking about uh yeah the aristocrat and the tyrant as removed by pleasure by a space of the number which is three by three right three by three is kind of an important thing um but then he goes off talking about all these planes and solids right and that's where it gets a bit mishmashed for me um and so yeah then he says at the end of all this calculation you come into 729 right which is the times difference you know in uh happiness between your aristocrat and your tyrant now, the reason I looked at this is because I was like, what the hell? So three by three uh, and uh, 27 by 27 are both Pythagorean uh, numbers, right? Okay. And they have significance as divine numbers. At, at this point in time in, in history, there was a belief that there's a connection between mathematics and the way to understand the connection between earth and heaven essentially and right, that sort of right, right. connection to the the natural world and understanding why the world why the universe and the world is the way it is and so there was this kind of feeling around the, these numbers so, so uh 27 by 27 so 27 squared is 729 that's actually uh it's what they call like a magic square it's a mathematical um problem or cube that, that's sort of got some particular properties um and funnily enough uh it's basically a divine number right so he's come up with that number on purpose mm. because it suits his argument i think is the deal um because i don't think he knew the math but i and i think he knew that no one else in the room knew the math and <laughs> so he's just plucked so, the god number <laughs> yeah so i think he's just kind of like fudged it 
to land on this number because it's one of importance. Um, it's actually, I, I did start to go down a bit of a rabbit hole of why it's important, what its applications are, and uh, I won't go into it, but but actually it, it, it links it, into it a whole up, bunch of different things. Did it end up tying to the Mason's compass or something? Like, was it something really random? No, no. Uh, well, actually, uh, it, it's linked in with like uh, ancient China as well, and uh, it gets this mathematics that's sort of around this magic cube gets used in uh, in architecture and lots of naturally found things in our world um so it does have some providence and significance um so i can kind of see why they felt that was important aside from which he was sort of saying well 729 is the number of days and nights in a year right so 365 times two right yeah so you know and they say well you know a year you know that's how we measure our lives right so that's that's uh that's obviously important the fact that it's come up with this number but i think it was just this thing about trying to tie mathematics to understanding the natural world right and so this this was just another way that he sort of thought i can just kind of like wrap this up in a neat little bundle and no one's going to argue with me because they don't understand this shit either so <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. go, uh, go Google, um, you know, magic squares and this uh, 729 thing. It's got some interesting stuff in there. Um, yeah, linked in with Chinese culture as well. And uh, it's also got some symbolic aspects which are, uh, appear in Christian motifs and stuff as well. Architecture and all sorts of stuff. So it's got surprising uh, amount of spread on that one. So Where was Bill Cosby? Oh, interesting. Just to be in there going, stop your jibber-jabber. <laughs> 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 I was just like three times three is nine. Shut up, nerd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you see, three by three is a magic square as well, right? So uh, this is all like uh, math nerd fun <laughs> stuff. So uh, uh, go go forth and nerd out is the uh, is the final thing. But uh, in, in any case, all he's trying to demonstrate the fact is that there is a huge gap between the happiness of the aristocrat and the, the tyrannical leader. And uh, 729 times, it's, you know, that, that's, he just kept saying, it's big, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. I, I just love that, that he just, I just love that he whacked a number on it. So it's like, totally. it's just like, it's also like, how much happier than I am, am I than you? I'll, I'll give you yeah. a number of how many times I'm happier than you. <laughs> I was saying earlier to me, it's like, it's, it's like, he's explaining apples. He's like, apple, 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 therefore orange. I'm just yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. like surely there's some kind of category mistake here. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm glad that we all agree that that was hilarious. That part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, let's I move on. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I will read this part. Um, well, I said, and now having arrived at this stage of the argument, we may revert to the words which brought us hither. Was not someone, looks at Thrasymachus, saying that injustice <laughs> was a gain to the perfectly unjust who was reputed to be just? Yes, that was said. Now then, having determined the power and quality of justice and injustice, let us have a little conversation with him. What shall we say to him? Looking at Thrasymachus. No, I keep putting that in there. Uh, let us make an image of the soul that he may have his own words presented before his eyes. So this is where they start uh, shooting down 
the original claim. Yeah. Arguing for the superiority of the just or the advantage mm. of the just, isn't it? This goes back yeah. to like chapter one or two. Yeah. Like it's real early. Yeah. yeah. It was like mm. first or second book yeah. when uh, Thrasymachus Marcus unleashed his fury. Like a wild <laughs> beast. <laughs> so was he the multiple head beast or was he the lion beast? <laughs> the multiple heads. Mm. Yeah, so he uh, he gives us another simile because he's Socrates and that's what he does. Similities. So he tells us he tells us to imagine man as broken up into three distinct things. A one being a Human. beast made up of many animals, so like a, a hydra or something with many different heads and necks. Seven. And then two, a, yeah, so yeah, um, two a lion. And then three, a man. And he says, basically says that you've got to think of man as being a man. And then he has those three parts inside him. Um, I think what he's saying is the Hydra type creature is a person's uh, base material desires, hunger, thirst, sex, that sort of stuff. The lion is the spirit. So the, the desire for honor. And then the man itself is reason and, and knowledge. Hmm. Um, yep. I think that's kind of what he's getting at. I would agree. Um, and anyone else want to have a crack at how he uses that to pummel Thrasy Marcus? <laughs> well, I think he talked about if you only, you know, uh, feed one part of that beast that that's stronger. Yeah. And, uh, but basically sort of saying that, you know, if that part's getting stronger, then you're going to be sort of at war within yourself, which is a common thing we've talked about a couple of times in this book. Um, and that, um, you're going to give in to those base desires or whatever it is. And you're going to be sort of, yeah, fighting amongst yourself over what you're going to be doing. Um, yeah, each part of the creature is fighting amongst itself. When you're looking at it from a perspective of somebody who is just though, they're talking about having balance and reason controlling the wild animals within you or the, the base desires within you. And I suppose trying to foster the right instincts and suppress the bad ones. And you're still going to look for honor. You may still look for some pleasures or what have you, but, but doing it in a, in a balanced way, using reason as your control and, and, and trying to be this good person really is, is what he's yeah. saying. Yeah, my my one sentence summary says, subjugation of our desires to reason equals happiness. Mm. Nailed it. So the only way to really be happy, according to Socrates, is to have the man um, control and rule over the lion and the hydra. Yeah, that's right. That's how he puts it for sure. Um, it, it's funny, you know, he, he talks about the man who is like overrun with those, um, you know, desires and wild things within him as, uh, as being a coward, which I thought was an interesting choice of words. Um, it wasn't what would have oh, come straight to mind. Do you, did you highlight that bit? Are you able to read it? Oh, ask me that question eh? 
Um, keep talking and I'll find it. Keep talking. All right. Um, yeah, so I thought there was an interesting way to break up, oh, I suppose these days we call it the human psyche. Um, back then it was kind of the way that the human soul was was divvied up. But he really, by describing sort of that hydra, like that beast creature with the many heads having all these different base desires as being the sort of the lowest aspect of man, the one that really needs to be controlled, I thought it was a really evocative way to describe it. And, but I think it's it's got some truth in it. I mean, I think everyone understands that if they just let, you know, their desire for food or sex or alcohol or whatever um, be the controlling factor of uh, of their, um, you know, of the way they live, it, it's not going to end well, right? Is that... Yeah. Well, so it you... makes sense to describe it as a monster. I visualize the lion as like the ego. Well, that's supposed to be the spirit, isn't it? Yeah, so the mm. one that seeks honour, mm. which, not ideal, but it's a much more pleasant vision than this this beast, this many-headed beast. I, I found a, a bit about the uh, coward. Uh, so, and men are blamed for pride and bad temper when the lion and serpent element in them disproportionately grows and gains strength, yes, and luxury and softness are blamed because they relax and weaken this same creature and make a coward of him. There you go. Oh, yeah. I must have lost that. I think they're saying because you've indulged. Different. Yeah, because I think they're saying like you've indulged in the pleasant in the pleasures. Maybe you've become one of these lotus eaters we were talking about previously, right? <laughs> and, so it uh, takes it takes courage. It takes courage <laughs> to control that that beast those beasts in you and if you fail to do so he describes him as a coward mm. i guess that this could make some sense yeah because actually you know right when he's describing these different images he describes that the the beast the many-headed beast as the biggest and then the second biggest the lion and then that's the right. man as the smallest so i guess that's mm. part of the analogy hmm. Mm. well spotted did you want to say something about the ego there, Timmy? Or oh, I was just—I was thinking about the uh, a lot of the guys I listen to about you know self-discipline and that sort of stuff. They they would say essentially the same argument, but in different ways. They normally say about you know you've got to master yourself and those those desires, um, but also that the ego is the enemy and. Like that's actually a book written by one of the modern day stoic guys, Ryan Holiday. Uh, he did one called Ego is the Enemy. Um, I had heard of that one, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just thought the lion, like, again, <clears throat> being, being raised a Christian and listening to the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, as soon as I read lion, I was like, oh, lion's a cool thing. That represents a, a good part of the, the human spirit. Um, and I think what you're saying before, Lachlan, about they acknowledge that you can get to a good place through honour, but it's rarer and still yep. not as good as the other way. Um, I don't know, like when I think of honour, I think honour is a good thing. But I think honour can still be problematic if it's attached to the, the ego, as in like it's my honour as opposed to <clears throat> being... I think you can be honourable to a higher principle or you can have honour about like honoring yourself which is ego i'm, I'm yeah. guessing 
when they were talking about uh, lovers of honor originally, there was a few other sort of descriptors there which would have the ego influence. So they said that it is to do with ruling, conquering, and getting fame and ambition. Yeah. So there's certainly an element of ego in amongst that as well. Um, and look, obviously, you know, people are a spectrum, right? Then they're not a, a one thing or a that thing. Um, so you're going to have some people who would absolutely live with honor in the way that you're, you're thinking. And you'd have others that are really sort of seeking power through, through honor, you know, power and influence and stuff like that. So if you ever well, get I suppose chance... also in the way that Plato, Plato is describing it is sometimes the man would tame the beast and sometimes maybe not so much on different occasions it's, you know like it's like you, you described it as a spectrum but i think of it as having to play out over time if you ever get a chance have a look at there's two interviews that joe rogan did with mike tyson the first one is a couple of years ago before he decided to come back and fight and then it, the second one was when he was getting fit and ready to fight again and you just see this total change in his presence in the room and then there was another time where rogan talked about it afterwards which was like um when he made his new studio he wanted a bigger desk because of mike tyson <laughs> because he didn't want when, to be that close <laughs> no because when tyson was in there and he was training up to fight um rogan was like he's, he'd turned his ego back on and just having that like that that beast ignited inside um, made him like feel very dangerous and there's heaps of memes that people are showing like there's this part where um, Tyson says something that Rogan found funny and he started laughing and then Tyson goes it's not funny and Rogan like immediately like a little kid in trouble just goes like oh and like because <laughs> it's like oh crap I don't want to annoy my Tyson you know <laughs> it's pretty funny but um, that's what I was thinking of a bit is just that uh <laughs> That's a good example of someone who, like, I, I actually think Mike Tyson's in a pretty good headspace right now. But when he's training to fight, man, there's a there's a wild thing in there. Yeah, there's a wild thing there for sure. Well, I, I think uh, having a, what was it biting the guy's ear off in a, yeah. in a bout. <laughs> You're pretty sure there's a bit of wild animal in there. <laughs> yeah, well, he's known as a brawler, right? He he wasn't about yeah. finesse. He'd just get in and smash her. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Um, so they sort of wrap that uh, that argument up with a little thing, uh, and so from every point of view, whether of pleasure, honor, or advantage, the approver of justice is right and speaks the truth, and the disapprover is wrong and false and ignorant. Yes, from every point of view, agrees Glaucon, which uh, yeah is a moot point at this point, as Rubes points out. <laughs> They're just there for the ride now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he sort of he goes on to say, um, and there's two ways to look at this. You could you could say it's a little bit condescending, or you mm. could say he's being charitable. But he goes on to say, so let us you know let us talk to the people that think this way, and they, they there's things they don't understand. So let's discuss it with them and and have them start to understand, which is kind of what he just did to everyone in the room. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Let us use gentle reason with him, I think is, is something that was in our version. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so he, he does this by uh, using a uh, hypothetical question, really, isn't it? It's uh, which 
I boiled down to is, you know, would you sell your kids for profit? <laughs> yeah. So he goes, uh, come now and let us gently reason with the unjust, who is not intentionally in error. Sweet sir, we will say to him, what think you of things esteemed noble and ignoble? Is not the noble that which subjects the beast to the man, or rather to the god in man, and the ignoble that which subjects the man to the beast? He can hardly avoid saying yes, can he now? Not if he has any regard for my opinion. <laughs> but if he agrees so far, we may ask him to answer another question. And this is where it's up to of them. Uh, yep. Then how would a man profit if he received gold and silver on the condition that he was to enslave the noblest part of him to the worst? Who can imagine that a man who sold his son or daughter into slavery for money, especially if he sold them into the hands of fierce and evil men, would be the gainer, however large might be the sum which he received? And will anyone say that he is not a miserable caitiff who remorselessly sells his own divine being to that which is most godless and detestable. Eraphili took the necklace as the price of her husband's life, but he is taking a bribe in order to compass a worse ruin. Yes, said Glarkon, far worse. I will answer for him. Um, I think he's right. I, I, I think he's right provided the person who is asked that question accepts that the lust for honour and gain are of a lower value than what Socrates is valuing. Like, if you accept his premise about the way that the man is made up with the hydra and the lion and the man and reason mm. being the man, then you yeah. have to say yes. I think if you wanted to disagree with him, you would have to say, well, you're wrong about the way that, you know, the, humans, the human soul is structured, so to speak. Yep. Yeah. I mean, like, they, they put it in a way that, you couldn't argue with him, could you? You, oh, I'd be fine with that, right? Yeah, I'd sell my children. <laughs> yeah, that's right. To answer that question uh, in the other direction, you would have to say, mm. you'd basically have to say, well, you know, children's lives are not important and money is important and, you know, it's, it's, there's there's no negative impact of selling your own children. It's like it's a pretty hard yeah. ask, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's... um. Yeah, you, you're going to come off a monster. No, <laughs> any way you try and answer that one. So, uh, it's, it reminds me of like I, I listened to uh, over the years, listened to a couple of like debates and arguments over you know what what is objective morality and things like that. And for some reason, when you want to talk about objective objective reality, the the one example that keeps coming up is we can all agree that it's wrong to torture babies for fun. It's like. <laughs> Yes, we can. That's a really extreme example. <laughs> Is it like who, who's actually said, no, I'm all right with that? Like, has that happened? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, we're almost at the end of the chapter. Um, yeah. From memory, there's just one more little bit. Oh, um, uh, Purpose of law is kind of uh, what, what pretty comes substantive. Up next, I think. Yeah. Hmm. How are we going for time? Did you want to quickly chat about that, or oh, if we do, we'll skip the pub. So I reckon we do right. skip the pub, and then we've only got one chapter to go. 
Hey, let's let's do it. Let's cool. do it. All right. So he goes on and talks about. He kind of goes. He winds back then to his society. There's a good little conclusion on that, by the way. But he winds back and starts talking about his society and about the purpose of law. Oh, I had it highlighted, but I've lost it. Because I thought this is really profound. Like, what he says here is really good. Um, you guys talk. I've got to find it, unless you guys have it highlighted. Uh, I, I may have that. Um, my version might be different, so you can stop me if I'm wrong. Um, okay. And this is clearly seen to be the intention of the law which is, or am I going ahead of you here? No, no, that's the bit, that's the bit I was looking for. Yep. Uh, which is the ally of the whole city and is seen also in the authority, which we exercise over children and the refusal to let them be free until we have established them a principal analog, uh, to the constitution of the state. And by cultivation of this higher element have set up in their hearts, a guardian and ruler like our own. And when this is done, they may go their ways. Yes, he said, the purpose of law is manifest. I thought it was pretty cool too. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I really liked it too. I thought that there's a lot, there's so much that could sort of be discussed in that one sort of idea. But I think it's kind of the answer to what we were talking about earlier. You know how I was sort of whinging about um, he's too esoteric in his approach to happiness. This is kind of his, his answer to that because he sort of says... Mm you know, that's why I say you need the philosopher king at the top. He's the one yep. that accesses these higher truths and he appreciates that the below, people below him are not going to see reality the way he does. And yep. that's where law comes in because the law, like it, when it, that reference to children, the law is what you do to channel people or, or funnel them into, the, into, that, into that better way of living. And I think the um, I think the, the ana analogy to raising children is a pretty good one. That's a pretty solid one in that sense. Yeah, I mean, it circles back to like if you really were talking about like the children of their hypothetical state, you know, and the way that they want to educate them and and build that guardianship within them. But in this example, they're, they're sort of talking about, I guess, you know, people who can't control themselves and their desires and will run wild in uh in society if they aren't sort of restrained and so it's like look we know you can't help yourself so we're going to help you and the laws are here to help you and direct you and put your energies sort of where they need to go that sounds a bit like the catholic church what do you think about that uh, i didn't think of the catholic church i thought of speeding <laughs> like no, no no seriously like if if yeah. everyone was smart enough and responsible enough and understood physics enough you wouldn't need speed limits sure everyone would be like i know i can take that corner at 60 and i know i can do it safely oh it's wet yeah. i know i have to back it off to 45 or whatever if yeah. everyone was everyone had that knowledge you know that higher level of reason that plato's talking about you wouldn't need traffic laws but the fact is people don't have that level of knowledge yeah and people, people get distracted and so on and so forth. So we, we need that consistency. We need those laws. That's the simple way I thought of it. Sorry, Catholic Church, mm -hmm. how, how, what, are you, what, are you, what are you talking about there? Uh, I'm conscious of saying some heretical things here, so I apologize to my Christian. Oh, you don't want to. You don't want to. 
I came across a term the other week I hadn't heard before: trad cats. What's this? Which means it means traditional Catholics. So you don't want to you don't want to oh, offend some trad okay. cats. Well, well, the <laughs> the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, came out of Rome, obviously, uh, which was influenced by the Greeks. And Paul debated Stoics, who would have known Plato for sure. Um, so, you know, maybe they borrowed some of these ideas a little bit. But is it could, could you say that there's at least a similarity in the um, what you're just saying Ruben around the problem with the philosophical model is you need to be smart and so Socrates is now coming up with this model of well this is the purpose of government is to govern those who aren't smart enough with the few that are is that the same model that the Catholic Church set up with having like the head of the church then the teachers of the church and then the church followers do you see the do you see the parallel i do yeah you're talking about uh authority yeah um so they they, they put authority into the hands of the uh what you would hope to be the the highest level so like mm -hmm. i guess in the catholic church if you were to draw a direct parallel to plato's system the philosopher king is the pope correct that's what i'm saying yeah and the Pope's um, never young, probably, but someone probably... who's experienced, they have to have had a very stable, disciplined, uncontroversial life. They need to have I think that's a very, 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 very interesting observation. There's probably about a million and one things that people would hate about it, but I think that's, that's very astute. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought there's a similar structure here. And is it because that's just the nature of hierarchies to end up that way based on competency, or is it actually intentionally the, the the greco influence on on the roman catholic church perhaps what about if i said something controversial go for it and said is that what we've got with coronavirus you got the people at the top saying we know better we've done the study we know the actual truth of this thing people below us don't really understand so we're just going to enact laws to make you do what is best for yourself whether you like it or not similar you could you could be right um well it, it's it's much like the the speeding example i think you gave rubes right can you trust people to do things without enforcing them but the yeah but the it feels different i think I can't. I don't. I'm not trying to shoot you down. Um, no, the, the, the Catholic, the Catholic model feels. What's the right way of saying this? Speeding specific. Um, whereas philosophy, is like the pursuit of all truth, and so yes, the the Catholic religion is obviously the pursuit of the Catholic truth. And so, I think this, it's more similar. No, I, I, I agree entirely. And that's because all analogies necessarily break down at a certain point. And the mm. reason for that is if your analogy is exactly the same as the example that you're pointing towards, then it's no longer analogy. It is the truth that you're pointing towards. Mm. So no analogy is going to be perfect. So yeah, no, I, I think I think I see what you're saying. 
that feels like a whole nother show conversation. But, <laughs> uh, probably, probably, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to think on that some more. I like that idea. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, well, let's... Um, are we almost there, do we think? Um. Yeah, look, there's probably a whole lot more we could say about the nature of laws and the purpose of them. Um, but time is our enemy. Hmm. And oh, there's one one tiny little thing towards the end of the, the chapter. They touch on stuff that we talked about in earlier episodes. Like, okay, Socrates, this is a great idea, but it's bloody impossible, isn't it, mate? And he basically admits it um, towards the end of this chapter. Hmm. He says, um, perhaps I said, it is laid up. Basically, he refers to, he, I'll read it. I see what you mean, he said. You mean that he will do so in a society this is talking about the, that perfect leader and the way he would behave. And he's saying he would only do that in a perfect society that have been described and which have been theoretically founded. But I doubt if it will ever exist on earth. Perhaps, I said, it is laid up as a pattern in heaven where he who wishes can see it and found it in his own heart. But it doesn't matter whether it exists or ever will exist. In it alone and in other societies, could he take part in public affairs? I expect you are right. Uh, so he, sorry, <laughs> in it alone and in other, in no no other society could he take part. So he's talking about the philosopher king. He's basically saying that that he could never really exist in any other society, and they kind of agree. Um, but they basically but say I, you can do it at a personal level, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you if you if you, yeah, personally take on that higher learning, you can live that philosophy and enact it in your own way. Um, yeah, and I I, in, I think that's interesting because he's sort of attesting to the um the the utility or the, the you know the, the the good. It's good to have an ideal, whether you hit that ideal or not, is not necessarily as relevant as the fact you have it. I mean. It, it's good to have something to aim for. That's a real simple way to say it. Well, isn't he describing I mean, virtue? It's good. Yeah. Like, that was his goal, right? Like, he was trying to say, like, this... Justice, yeah. strive for virtue and... Hmm. Yeah. And yeah, that's... So you and may then, not get that leader. Go I was just going to say... And that, that, that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's out my window. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's uh, that's a sound uh, we haven't heard for quite some time in Australia. <laughs> He's heading to Bankstown Airport, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I was just going to say it's, it's human nature to um, to to try and find an ideal to compare ourselves to, um, or to 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 follow. And um, I think this is just Socrates' way of of setting that that ideal um, that we should ape and try and pursue i suppose yeah oh, okay. I, I thought it was a good i thought it was a great conclusion hmm. i was kind of i was kind of blown away at how they managed to tie tie in together all these things that they've been talking about over you know nine books and they they, they really felt like they tied it up and apparently there's another chapter so i don't know what's in it but i felt like this is a good ending if they ended the book right here yeah. i would not have been disappointed <laughs> well they're going to keep going as Socrates does um, <laughs> yeah imagine if George R. R. Martin wrote Socrates oh my goodness 
Anyway, um, hopefully Vomit. it ends better than that did. <laughs> <laughs> and better than the Star Wars movies as well. Um, <laughs> so we'll find out. On a, on, a, on a real, on a super quick side note, I'm a big Dark Souls fan. I love the, the Bandai Namco games. I just so addicted to them and there's a new one coming out called Elden Ring and I was super pumped for it until I watched the story trailer today and it said in association with George R.R. R. Martin and I'm like oh. <laughs> yeah it's been ruined <laughs> I'll still play it <laughs> well sure. maybe it'll be just like Game of Thrones where the game never actually ends properly and when it does I end it just disappoints that. you <laughs> Because you died and lost all your loot. <laughs> it's just a red wedding <laughs> over and over again. Well, that, that's kind of how Dark Souls is anyway, isn't it, right? It's like, oh, uh, yeah. it, it is soul-destroying to play. It reminds me of the Sega Mega Drive days, and I love retro games, but... Yeah. You wouldn't go back to it. Save points are great. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, that's, uh, that's good. So, we'll be back next week to hopefully uh make a dent on chapter 10 which is the last one looking at my book nah um, let's get it's let's very... commit to it let's finish this thing before the end of the year one more chapter oh, that's a big ask even even, yeah. even if we have to butcher it no 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 no, no. Let's, let's do it let's do it justice that's the theme right <laughs> let's do it justice if you're gonna read one book you read that one book and you read it right there's this yeah, that's 25 pages to go but based on our current run weight, that's another month. Not joking. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. Look, I'm looking forward to getting towards the tail of this book, um, and and I think once we're done, we'll need to do like a uh, a revision summary episode of like what were the key learnings from each chapter and our overall thoughts and that sort of stuff. So yeah, I think yeah. we'll have to set a timer and go five minutes a chapter. This is what we learned. This is what we learned. This is what we learned. And uh, that'll take us to fifty minutes, and then my notes are not that good. Our overall summary after that. Well, you might have to re-listen to the show. Yeah, it should be funny. I think it's longer than reading the book. Twenty episodes deep. It's certainly not what I expected it to be doing the show, but I'm enjoying it, so it's good. And uh, for those listening, we hope you're enjoying it too. And uh, remember. The Republic wasn't built in a day, and neither middle-aged men, and uh, neither is working through this book. And uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Yeah, good